Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. We'll say it one more time for the benefit of those of you who slept in a bit last Sunday. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Excellent, excellent. Wow, you're responsive today. Juan, they're awake today for some reason. It's a fantastic thing. Friends, it's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to be gathered in fellowship and friendship to worship God on this holy day, this day set aside for us to give our full attention to the one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who redeems us. Let us be called together in worship then as we read responsively this section from First Chronicles. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Oh, Friends, let us worship God. God has called us to be people in community, 
And it's good to remember that a healthy community is willing to speak truthfully and redemptively about our life together in Christ. So confession becomes an important part of our healing and our transformation. Let's go to God in confession. God of mercy, God of love, in humbleness of heart, we confess our sins. We are careless of your world and wander from your ways. We are careless of your world and put its life in danger. We talk of our concern for others, but fail to match our words with action. Lord, have mercy on us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. God is good, my friends. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. And I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. May the peace of Christ be with you. As we greet one another, we invite our, our young members, fifth grade and under, to meet their Sunday school leaders in the back, and our sixth grade and up to meet and gather in the, our youth room. Let's greet one another. It is a good thing that we can come before the Lord and be assured of His love and forgiveness and restored in community with Him, even as we celebrate that community with ourselves and among ourselves in this time of greeting. So let's share just a couple more words about the life of the community. We would note that today at this very hour, our Sunday morning adult Bible study class is reconvening. They are starting a study of Philippians and Thessalonians. So if you'd like to have the chance to go to Sunday school on Sunday mornings, you're going to have to get up and come to the nine o'clock worship service and then go to Sunday school. That's all you have to do. We have a new group, grief group. That's hard to say. 
together. A new grief group starting uh, Wednesday, the uh, 18th of January. Uh, If you are uh, dealing with some fresh grief in your life or maybe some old grief that's not yet been addressed, we'd encourage you to think about being part of this group. Call the office and be in touch with us and uh, we'll be happy to put you in touch with the folks leading that and encourage your participation in that. We have a Monday evening Bible study group that will be starting up on Monday, February 6th. It is going to be a Zoom-only group, so you have no excuse. Wherever you are in the world, you can tune into this. They'll be setting the gospel according to John, and there'll be more information about that group in the coming weeks. There's lots else going on, so as always, let me encourage you to read carefully through our weekly email messages to you and to check out the church website. And if all else fails and you need to know what's going on, give me a call and I'll chat with you. God gives us the opportunity to be involved in His work all the time in all kinds of ways. We remember that, we celebrate that, we signify that as we come to this period of our worship, as we bring to God our tithes and offerings, bringing not only financial resource, but bringing our very selves before Him. I invite you to come forward now to bring your offerings to the baskets on either side as this next musical piece is being performed for our spiritual benefit.
You may be seated, and as you are seated, I would invite all those who are being ordained and installed as elders and deacons today to join me here on the chancel. This is an annual event in our congregation, an annual ritual in which we ordain and install those who have been called into service in the life of the church as new elders and deacons. All of these standing before you have been duly called by the voice of God through the election of this congregation to this service. Joining our current elders and deacons are new elders Michael Dyer, Kathy Loftman, Francie Murphy, and Mary Proctor. Joining our board of deacons are Alice Ashcraft, Virginia Chasey, Sherry Gentry, Bob Heinz, Ursula Cooster, Victor Ollie, Ellen Rindell, and Brenda Meredith. Friends, you have been called by God through the voice of the church to a particular form of service in the life of God's church, joining all the rest of us who serve God in special ways and in all the ways that benefit the life of the community. You know who you are, why you have been called, and you know about the work to which you have been chosen. And so, now will you please express your purpose and your conviction and commitment as you answer these questions. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge Him Lord of all and Head of the Church, and through Him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? For those who are being ordained and installed as elders, please answer this question. Will you be a faithful elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in governing bodies of the church, 
and in your ministry will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ. Will you? For those being ordained and installed as deacons, please answer this question. Will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? These friends who have answered this particular call of God to lead and to serve are joined by all the rest of us in our own forms of ministry within the life of the church and in the lives that we lead out in the world. They join in this ministry not alone but as part of the community of faith. And so I have two questions to ask you, the congregation, as a form of your support and your encouragement. Do you, the members of the church, accept these brothers and sisters as ruling elders or deacons chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do you? Do you agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions, and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Do you? The act of ordination and installation is an act of the whole church of God. Symbolizing this then, we have a prayer of ordination and the laying on of hands. I would invite all those who are already ordained as ruling or teaching elders in the church to come forward for this prayer then. And will all of you please join me here on the floor level and face the front. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your claim and call upon all of our lives and your invitation to join you in the work and ministry of Christ. We thank you especially now for these faithful sisters and brothers who have answered this particular call to serve you in this special way in the years ahead. We ask that you would grant them wisdom, courage, love, patience, and especially faithfulness and reliance upon you, as together all of us seek the way forward to live our lives in ways that will call others to know you and that will make this congregation a shining example of your love and a welcoming place for all to know who you are as together we follow Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Friends, welcome to this service. God bless you. Welcome. God bless you. Welcome. Welcome. God bless you, my dear. Welcome. God bless you. Welcome. Welcome. God bless you. I invite you to Take a breath and still and calm yourself. Center yourself as we prepare to enter into prayer with God. Let's go to God in prayer. 
Lord, your, your soft voice calls back the edges of the night, and you begin to warm the morning with sounds and sights and smells that call us into this day. The sound of birdsong and the rumble of streets being swept, and the dew that hangs as precious as any diamond on the waking grass. The smell of coffee and breakfasts and good work that claims our attention. So we ask that we might come gratefully out of our solitary night, O oh God, and enter into the sanctuary of your plan with praise and thanksgiving. Let us rise today with intention toward love and kindness and generosity and compassion. Let us rise today with you. You, O oh God, as the reflection in our mirrors. We ask that you would compel us towards those who are in need and throw back the heavy, dusty curtain of our fears that we might breathe freely and deeply, ready to serve you in our service to others. Help us, God, to have the courage to let our hearts break for those whose lives and livelihoods are buffeted by the icy storms and surging waters, for those who are displaced by war and violence and poverty. Prince of Peace, Almighty God, we open our arms wide to create the cushion of belonging. And we pray for the unlovely, the cantankerous, and the snob May they know the grace and mercy of your love, and may we have the grace and mercy to show it. We pray for a deepened community, Lord, with each other, and a deepened communion with you. And we recognize and we know that there is a grave responsibility in our deepening. And so we pray for courage and trust and creativity and commitment. God, we pray all of these things because we are quite simply madly and hopelessly in love with you, and we seek to serve you. And all of this, Lord, we bring humbly to you. We know you listen, and you love us without measure. And so we joyfully pray the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
reading from the book of Exodus. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law then said to him, what you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you. 
You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things that they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father depart, and he went off to his own country. The word of the Lord. Many, many years ago now, when our four children were just in the first grades of school. We were driving home one Sunday after church, after having stopped off at some restaurant to feed them lunch because my wife simply refuses to cook lunch on Sunday morning for us. So she, she comes to church. What a great thing. At any rate, we were driving home and the the kids were chattering in the back of the van as usual, and then things got a little bit quiet, which was always of concern, and one of them began to speak. We learned over the years that when the kids had a question, and usually a question for me, they would elect a spokesperson from the group. <laughs> and so things got quiet for a moment, and then I forget who it actually was. One of the kids said, Dad, what do you do all week long? <laughs> you know, we took our children to church. We brought them to church from the, from the time that they were born. They went to worship. They went to Sunday school. And they had grown very familiar with the fact that dad would put on a robe and stand in front of a bunch of people and speak. And they usually came to just one service. And so they assumed I worked only an hour, which most of you also assume. I said, what do you do all week? They knew what I did on Sunday mornings for an hour, but they weren't sure. And so I said, well, I was trying to think quickly, how do you explain to, you know, a, a bunch of kids who are not yet even the double digits of age, how do you tell them what you do? And I said, well, 
I go to a lot of meetings with other people. And they said, oh. And then they changed the subject. I suppose that was enough of an answer for them or maybe thought, wow, that's incredibly boring. <laughs> I don't know. What does dad do all week? Well, it's a bit of a stretch, I will admit, because a modern pastor in a church like ours has a very different job in many ways, but there are some common themes and threads in what not just pastors, but all church leaders and and even the lay leaders, like our elders and deacons, there are some common threads that go all the way back to the time of Moses and to the story that Paul just read for us. A story about what was going on in the day-to-day life of the people of God as they began to discover that they actually were the people of God and they now had life to live with each other. Let's go back to that story and the history that led up to it for just a moment so that we understand the context. You will recall that the Bible begins by saying that God made everything, including us, and that we messed up, and so he washed it all away, save for one family, and started over. And then eventually God called one person, one couple, to be the beginning of a new family of faith, a family that was one day a nation, And through the life of that particular nation, that particular family of people, God would explain and express and demonstrate what God wants for all of his people. And so Abraham's family grew. It increased in number. It lived for centuries, first through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, In the time of Joseph, along with his 11 brothers, there was a great famine and the extended family moved into Egypt and after a while, the family found themselves enslaved in Egypt. They lived that way for several hundred years. Now they were a family that included thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe even into the hundreds of thousands. God, though, still had a plan for the people And so he raised up Moses and said to Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh what the plan is. Pharaoh's going to let the people go. And so Pharaoh does let the people go. They leave their stable, if not entirely comfortable life in Egypt, and they find themselves wandering around in the wilderness, now under the leadership of Moses, and now beginning to discover what it was that they were supposed to do, how it was that they were supposed to live. Of course, someone needed to be the leader, and that that was Moses. But think for a moment about the problem that Moses had, and think about it in this way. Have you ever assembled three or four other people in the car, and before you turn the ignition switch, you say, okay, where are we going to eat dinner? I stopped turning the ignition switch because of all the gas that would be wasted while we sat there discussing and deliberating and deciding about where we would eat dinner. Can you imagine the problems of thousands and thousands of people wandering around in the world wilderness, not just talking about the simple problem of dinner, but 
But what are we going to do to survive? How are we going to get along with each other? That was Moses' problem. And initially it was a problem that only he was dealing with. He was spending all of his time, morning to night, every day, dealing with the needs of the community, answering questions, making decisions, adjudicating disputes, giving direction, encouraging people, inspiring people, sometimes correcting people, and he couldn't keep doing it by himself. And so the story tells us that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, tells him what to do. Now, at this point in this particular scripture passage, I have to tell you that preachers are very, very tempted to point something out that I'm not going to mention. (laughs) I'm not going to mention that it was the father-in-law, not the mother-in-law, who told the son-in-law what to do. I haven't said it. What Jethro said is important, though. Jethro said, Moses, this is ridiculous. You need help. You're dealing with a bunch of minor issues that other people could decide. Your job is to tell us the overall plan for what God has in mind for us and to remind us who we are and what we're doing. You need help. And so in what seems like a a pretty simple solution to the problem to us was a revolutionary idea, especially in a time when families when tribes, when entire nations were ruled by one person. Jethro says, call forth other people from the community in order to work with you, to serve with you, to share with you in leading and taking care of the people. And so we believe, especially we of the Presbyterian background, believe that This is God's given structure, the the best way to organize a group of people who want to follow God so that they actually can accomplish the task of living together and being a light to the world. As the story continues, we learn that Israel itself plays around with all kinds of other systems. Eventually, they ask for a king, and that doesn't work out so well for them. But then when Jesus shows up, have you noticed the first thing that he does is call together a committee, 12 disciples, many others along with him. After Jesus leaves, the 12, now 11, elect another one to become 12, and as they begin the life of leading God's people and discovering what it is to live as the community of faith, they discover they need help. And so they enlist others to serve as deacons. And eventually, a structure of church life comes together that calls everyone, not just the elders and deacons, but that calls everyone to serve in the ways that God has given them to serve, but especially under the leadership of a group who will work together. That's what we've done today. It's very simple. It seems very ordinary and mundane. There's a new group of people that need to be set off and blessed and prayed for as they begin their work together. It may be ordinary, it may be mundane, but it is absolutely vital to the existence 
of the church and what we believe is the healthiest and most successful way for the church to function. We should note a few of the qualifications that Jethro himself mentioned to Moses. He says, look for able men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Of course, back then we know that in culture it was only the men who were given these tasks, but absolutely we are certain that, that women were involved in the overall provision for the guidance and the, and the life of the people of faith, and now we understand that God calls all kinds of people in order to serve. Of more importance, though, are the qualities of these people, people who have proven ability. These are not brand new people. These are people who have shown by their life and work in the life of the community already. They've shown that they've got some experience, they've got some skill, they've got some patience and understanding and strength. They can be trusted with the authority and the power that's going to be given to them. They trust God above all else. They fear God and they aren't in it for themselves. Leadership in the church is not about an individual person. It's not about glory. It's not about gain. It's about the business of giving yourself so that the community will thrive. There's one other element here that I want to mention that Jethro does not, but I'm sure Jethro would agree with me. In the context in which Moses and Jethro found themselves, Moses, uh, Jethro simply said to Moses, just go pick people. Go tell them this is what they're supposed to do. And in the life of the modern church, it doesn't quite work that way. We don't exactly have a Moses who says, you will do X or Y or Z. The closest we come to it is when the nominating committee gathers and says, we think these people would be great people to be, elders or deacons or whatever else needs to happen in the life of the church. And often I'm giving the job of calling them up and saying this is what the nominating committee wants. But the way I say it maybe goes back to the way Moses said it to these other folks. What I say to people, and many of you have heard me say it to you before, some more than once, is that God has a plan for your life. And I'm going to tell you what it is. <laughs> you can have all the ability in the world, but your ability is useless unless you also have availability. When you are asked not just to be an elder or a deacon, when you're asked to be a base or a tenor, or a Sunday school teacher, or an elder, when you're asked to go on a mission trip, when you're asked to reach out to someone who's grieving a loss and pray with them and encourage them, when you're asked to do anything that serves not just the life of the church, but especially the life of the church in mission to the world, you need to decide if that's the voice of God calling you and the church is only going to survive and thrive if sometimes you say, yes, here I am, send me. When you think about it, there are lots of benefits to this God-given way of organizing ourselves together as the body of Jesus Christ. Number one, real work gets done. 
One person cannot do it all. Two people cannot do it all. The only way it all gets done is if all of us are doing it together. That's one benefit. Another is that everyone gets to use their gifts and their talents and their time for something bigger than themselves. I believe that people are not whole, they're not healthy, they're not happy, unless we're doing something that's not about us, it's about someone else. Giving of who we are and what we are in whatever way that we can. Sometimes people ask me, especially towards the end of life, even when they're bedridden, and can't lift a finger. They say, what use am I in the world today? And I say, what God wants you to do is as you're lying there in that bed struggling to survive, I want you to pray for someone else. There is never a time in our lives when we cannot contribute to the life of the church and the work of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, As we are forced, if you will, encouraged, if you will, to work together, we learn some incredibly important lessons along the way. We learn that we have to respect each other, that we have to share with each other, that we have to compromise with each other, and that unless we learn how to do those things, we become paralyzed and helpless. And that's not what God is interested in for the human community. I have to tell you that this past week I've had more than one conversation with a person who has a unique role in the world of praying with and praying for the House of Representatives in the United States Congress. And as the week wore on, she told me that she was getting a little bit tired of having to pray for continued patience and continued waiting while 435 people tried to figure out how to elect a leader. It's God's plan that we would be thrown into this all together and that we would not be able to rely on one person to make all the decisions, but that we would be forced to rely on each other because we learn some important lessons that we as the church need to teach the rest of the world about how to make it all work. About 35 years ago, on my second trip to California, sidebar here, I think I was about 31 before I ever came to the state of California. And I know this is hard for people Juan's already shaking his head. How can you live without ever having come to California? I managed it for more than three decades. There are people who live, by the way, on the planet who don't ever come to California, but I came to California. The reason I came was to go to a leadership conference at a church up the road that many of you may have heard about. It was called the Crystal Cathedral. It was pastored by Robert Schuller. It now belongs to the Catholics. But at this leadership conference, Schuler said lots of fascinating things, and the one thing that I remember most of all that he said is that you can never succeed in a hurry, and you can never succeed alone. We're not talking about the success here of 
one pastor or one congregation. And we're not talking about success in terms of recognition and appreciation or financial gain. We're talking about the success of the community of faith. And today, today in this world, God's church is facing, in some sense, unprecedented challenges, especially here in the West. Not the Western U.S., but Western civilization as people are leaving the church. They are moving away from organized religion. They are moving away from faith in Jesus Christ. And so we who still have faith, we who still believe that Jesus is the way to go, have lots of work to do. We can only do it together. And so as we celebrate as we pray for, as we mark the new term of service of some of us, all of us need to be asking in our hearts, what would God have me be doing today so that other people, along with myself, can know the saving love of Jesus Christ? Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand together and let the words of Scripture affirm for us our faith. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess to the glory of God Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.
Jethro said to Moses, why do you sit alone while everyone else stands around? I read that phrase not long ago and immediately my mind went to being in all of that traffic when you're going slow and driving past a road crew working on the road. And there's a whole bunch of folks standing around looking at one guy (laughs) down in the hole who seems to be doing all the work. Now I know, I know, they're all working. But still that image persists, does it not, of one person doing all the work while everyone else stands around. The only way that it works is if we're not standing around, but standing together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all today and always. Amen.